I welcome everybody to part two of this brand new series called Through the Crowd. Want to say hello to our campuses and, of course, all the correctional facilities all across the state. Come on, church, let's put our hands together. Welcome each other today. Yeah, it's great to have you at church here at Hightown. We love to take notes as we study God's Word. So grab your cell phone and open up the notes section, or you can click on the messages button for uh, the weekend messages for iTown inside of the app. You'll find a fill-in-the-blank version of the notes. And as we study God's Word, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit would speak to you, that you take something with you that'll help change your life. The whole concept of this series is that Jesus was constantly surrounded by crowds of people. And yet in the midst of the crowds, he always saw the people. He always saw the individual. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, our theme verse says, Jesus saw the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And I love that situation because Jesus saw the thousands of people. He saw the group, but he didn't just see a crowd. He didn't just see an opportunity for popularity. He didn't see something that was fueling his earthly ministry. He saw individuals. The Bible says that he could see their condition, that they were harassed and helpless, and that his heart was moved with compassion. Here are the three thoughts I have for you throughout this entire series. The first one is that Jesus sees you. No matter where it is you are in life, no matter what you're walking through, you need to know that Jesus sees you. And I want you to internalize that and put it in the first person. Jesus sees me. Because I think too many times we feel like we get lost in the shuffle with 7.8 billion people on planet Earth. There's no way that God actually knows about the intricate details of my life. But not only does he see you, the Bible tells us that he knows you. He knows me. He knows all of your fears. He knows all your failures. He knows all your sin. He knows all your strengths. And he loves you more than you could possibly imagine. In fact, that's the last one, that he also cares about you. So he looked at the crowds and he saw them. The Bible says that means to perceive. He could see the individual conditions, that they were harassed and helpless, but yet his heart was moved with compassion. And I hope you know today that God's not looking to get even with you. God's not disappointed in you. No matter where it is that you're at in your journey of faith today, God sees you. He knows the pressure points of your life and his heart is just to help you, to love you, to surround you with his compassion. And I'm praying that sometime throughout this series that you would open your heart to him and allow him to touch, him, touch you in the unique way that you may need him to, because all of us need a touch from heaven. In fact, this series really is dedicated to those of us that find ourselves in conditions that we can't rescue ourselves from. And we all get there from time to time. We all have moments that we just need a miracle. And today we're going to be in Mark chapter 10, if you want to turn in your Bibles, Mark chapter 10. We're going to study another individual that Jesus interacted with in the city of Jericho. Let me read you the story, and then we'll pull some truth out of it today. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 46. So they came to Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples, together with this large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was coming... He began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many people around him rebuked him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me, he cries out. Verse 49, Jesus stopped and said, call him. And so they called the blind man, cheer up, get on your feet because he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Verse 51, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. 
Verse 52, go, Jesus said, your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, followed Jesus along the road. This is a beautiful story of a guy named Bartimaeus who really was in a condition like many of us find ourselves in, as we mentioned a moment ago from time to time, where we become helpless in our own condition. There's nothing that we can do to rescue ourselves. And we just need a supernatural moment. We need a divine intervention. We need God to do something miraculously in our lives. And that's the situation that Bartimaeus was in. In fact, if we go back to the top of the story in verse 46, they're in the city of Jericho. This is a city that Jesus passed through many times throughout his earthly ministry because it was the last stop before you would go to Jerusalem. So as Jesus would travel from the region of Galilee where he did most of his earthly ministry, he would have to pass through Jericho. And it's a place that you would stop and you'd kind of refresh and rest before you'd make the ascent up to Jerusalem. And that's why when you read the Bible, if you read the Bible in the New Testament, you'll always hear how Jesus and the disciples went up to Jerusalem. It was a huge elevation change, almost straight uphill. And so people would stop in Jericho to rest. It was like an oasis city. In fact, they called it the city of roses or the city of palms, full of beautiful palm trees and rose bushes. It's just the, uh, the garden of the gods is kind of how they defined it. And so because of it being such a beautiful oasis city, it was a place that a lot of really wealthy people lived. In fact, King Herod actually set up his summer palace there and had a retreat. And so this is a very influential, very wealthy city, which is why, incidentally, Bartimaeus would have been there, because very wealthy people actually supported the very poor people in that day, because there wasn't any economic government system to support those who were down and out like Bartimaeus. He wouldn't have the ability to create an income because he was blind. There was no occupation that he could have. So his only hope was to beg from generous, wealthy people. So there would have been a very high population of homeless people who were also beggars living in the outskirts of Jericho. And so as Jesus is passing through that day with this large crowd that surrounded his ministry all the time, he has this unique interaction with Bartimaeus that like many of us, finds himself in a condition that he can't change on his own. He is in desperate need of a supernatural touch if he's ever going to escape the life cycle that he finds himself stuck in and his life is just reduced to this position of a beggar. And really is a beautiful picture of our own spirituality before we find Christ. There's no way for us to save ourselves. There's nothing that we can do to rescue ourselves from that condition. And so we're just reduced to literally being a beggar. And so that's the position that Bartimaeus is in. And it can affect every one of us in different areas of life. Maybe it's your physical health. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's your career, your finances. We all find ourselves in a place that we just need a divine touch from heaven. And we see that there are actually four very specific things that we can learn from Bartimaeus in this story. Verse 47, it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The first thing that you're gonna have to do, if you're gonna seize the moment and see God do a miracle in your life, number one, jot it down if you're taking notes at every campus, is you're gonna have to see Jesus. Now that seems counterintuitive because you say, well, pastor, you're talking about a blind man. There's no way that he could have done that. If we go back to our text in verse 47, it says, when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David. Now I want you to see something here because the Bible doesn't have little subtleties like this without it being intentional. So the way that you would refer to people in that culture to identify uh, who they were is to talk about them 
in relationship to the place that they were from. The Bible says that Jesus lived in Nazareth as he was raised. And so they called him the Nazarene, that he was from Nazareth. And so it would be normal for people to refer to Jesus the human as Jesus of Nazareth, which is how they identify him to Barnabas, or excuse me, to Bartimaeus. But what he says is Jesus, son of David. That's a totally different reference that has to do with his lineage and the fact that he's putting him in the lineage of David. Of course, he wasn't David's son. He was Joseph's son. But the reality is David was the last king or the king that they said the Messiah would come through. So what he's actually saying to Jesus is, I know who you are. You're not just Jesus of Nazareth. You're not just a guy that I'm undecided on who's doing some miracles and some cool things who might be able to help me. What he's saying is, Jesus, you are the Messiah. He's crying out in faith, I believe who you are. I see you for who you are. In fact, jot it down this way if you're taking notes. Bartimaeus saw Jesus before he could see Jesus. Bartimaeus knew spiritually who Jesus was and the opportunity that was in front of him before he could see him with his physical eyes. In fact, you might say it this way. He was physically blind, but he was spiritually perceptive. He understood the spiritual opportunity that was in front of him. And I pray that God gifts us in the same way, that when the Holy Spirit moves, when God wants to do something, that we'd be spiritually aware. I love the fact that even more so than the people who weren't afflicted, those who weren't blind, those who could physically witness the things that Jesus was doing, they may have been struggling in their faith, but not Bartimaeus. He says, I believe that you're the son of David. I believe you're the Messiah. I see you for who you are, which affects the way that I interact with you, the way that I pray, the way that I believe. It's important that we have spiritual perception. And so Bartimaeus was able to see who Jesus was. And I think that's something that we need to pray for. God, would you help me to see what you're doing? Would you help me to see how you're moving? Would you help me to be aware and sensitive to the move of the Holy Spirit. Because the reality is in a life of faith, there should always be spiritual perception before there is physical reception. Like when you're standing in faith for a miracle, I believe God will always give you a picture, a dream, something that you see in the spiritual before you see it in the natural. You need to have the dream before the dream becomes a reality. You need to have a picture of what your physical life is going to look like as God heals your body or as God gives you that self-control that you've been praying for and your life turns around. Or you need to have a picture, that dream of the marriage that you could have as you walk the path of restoration or as you look for that special someone that you haven't found yet, that you have a dream, a picture, a spiritual perception before the physical comes to pass could be a promotion, it could be your children, it could be in any area of your life when you're believing for something. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, but it's the evidence of things you cannot see. So you have to have some faith, you have to be able to trust in something that you can't see. Spiritually we can see it, but physically we can't see it yet. And I believe God does that as a gift to us, to be honest with you, because there's always a gap between the dream and receiving the dream. And so we have to be able to dream the dream to hold on to that spiritual reality while we're working by faith to pull it into our physical reality. So here's Bartimaeus. He can see in the spiritual, believing that one day he'll see in the natural. So verse 48, many people rebuked him and they told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. If you are going to seize the moment and see God move in your life, not only do you have to be spiritually perceptive 
in seeing Jesus, but you're probably going to have to silence the skeptics. There are always going to be people around you that are offended by your passion. And so here's this guy crying out to Jesus, lifting his voice above the crowds, doing something that's making him stand out from everyone else, and the rest of the crowd is uncomfortable with it. They don't like the fact that he's being rowdy in his pursuit of Jesus. Now think about the fact that they're all pursuing Jesus. We're not talking about unchurched folks. The people trying to keep him from his miracle and just get him to shut up are church folks. Sometimes you just have to silence the church folks around you that are saying, I'm offended by your passion. You're just a little bit exuberant in your worship. I think you're just a little bit extravagant in your giving. I just don't like how much you share your faith. I think you just have to get to the place that you say, you know what? I just don't care what people think about me. I'm going to live a passion-filled life in pursuit of Jesus and all that he has for me. If you're ever going to do anything great for God, you're going to have to settle this in your heart that pleasing God means disappointing people. If you're going to please God, you're going to let somebody down. You just have to be okay with the fact that that's the reality. You're going to upset some people in life. And it's easy for us to give in to the pressures of the people around us. And if you give in to people and you give up your passion, then you'll find yourself no longer pursuing Jesus. In fact, in John chapter 12, many of the Jewish leaders believed in Jesus, but because the Pharisees, they would not openly acknowledge their faith for they, they had fear that they'd be put out of the synagogue. Why? Because verse 43 says they loved human praise more than godly praise. They were more interested in what people thought than what God thought. And we need to be very careful in life because it's easy for us to slip into caring a lot about what people think about us. Do you like the way I'm living my life? Do you think I'm okay? Do you like my hair? Do you like my clothes? Do you like my children? Do you like my career? Do you like all of my choices? Do you like my music? Do you like the movies I watch? And the reality is when you become obsessed about what people think about you, you'll forget about what God thinks about you. And you'll get to a place where you're all upside down living for the approval of people. And then you'll forfeit your calling. As it happened to Saul in 1 Samuel, Saul was the first king over Israel. He was given an assignment and he didn't carry it out. He did half of it. And the prophet came and confronted him and said, man, you're out of line. This is messed up. And he said, I have sinned. I disobeyed your instruction and the Lord's command. Why? Because I was afraid of people and I did what they demanded. If you bow your knee to people, you will never fulfill the call that God has for your life. And if Barnabas had been silent that day and listened to the Christians around him, he would have never received his miracle. He would have died blind. There's a miracle waiting on the other side of your passionate pursuit of God. And you can't be afraid about what people say about you because the fear of man will become a snare. But if you trust in the Lord, you'll be kept safe. You can reverse this whole thing just by becoming obsessed about what God thinks about you. If you obsess about what God thinks about you, that's the quickest way to forget about what people think about you. And if you just are consumed with what the Lord thinks about you, you couldn't care less. And Barnabas or Bar Bartimaeus could not care less that day. He did not care what people said about him. He shouted all the more, the Bible says. He's like, man, I don't even care what you say. I'm gonna get rowdier. I'm gonna get louder. I'm gonna be more offensive. I don't care what you're saying about me. And so I'm asking you the question today, are the people around you silencing the prayer inside of you? Could be well-meaning Christians. 
who think they're maintaining the status quo and even doing God a favor. People always get it wrong when they try and filter what Jesus wants. They always think they can anticipate what God wants. But I just want to remind you that followers of Christ are typically the first ones to condemn the next move of God. Because the disciples were out in a boat and Jesus came walking on water and they were the first ones to say, it's a ghost. Because they hadn't seen him walk on water yet. We can't get freaked out when Jesus does something we haven't seen yet. And we have to make sure that we're not hindered by the people who are saying that can't be done because we've never seen it yet. We want to lead a church that does things that people have never seen before to reach people who have never been reached before. And we're going to have to shout all the louder and not care at all what people think about us. Don't let people silence the prayer that God has put on the inside of your heart. He shouted all the more. I'm going to get more. You want to silence me? I'm going to push the envelope even more. I'm going to get even more obnoxious. And I am going to get the attention of my Savior because I want a miracle. So Jesus, check this out in verse 49, stopped and he said, call him. Go get that guy. And so check out the, the crowd that was just trying to tell him to shut up says, cheer up. Come on, get on your feet. We did it. He's calling you. We're going to get a miracle today. Isn't it amazing how fast people flip-flop? As soon as you grow, people are like, man, that was the Lord. Praise the Lord. I told him to do that. So glad I approved all that. That's amazing. Hallelujah. So don't worry about what they say, because they'll come around. Cheer up. Get on your feet. He's calling you. So verse 50, throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Number three, if you're going to see a miracle in your life, you're going to have to step out in faith. We talk about faith a lot because the Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. Faith is taking a step before you know what's going to happen on the other side of it. It may seem trivial to you, but he took a big step of faith. The Bible says that he threw his cloak aside. So his cloak would have been something that was very valuable to him because they had cloaks in those days for, so I've got my cloak here, which very appropriately is a Snuggie. And of course it's Batman, because why would you not have a Batman Snuggie? Yeah, probably the most disappointing thing about this illustration is I didn't have to buy this because it belongs to somebody on staff. <laughs> So much like this Batman Snuggie, blind people would wear cloaks. It probably looked just like this, actually. It's very authentic. And so, what? I've lost you. It's not, nobody's going to remember anything but the Batman Snuggie. Here's the point He's not just throwing a Batman Snuggie to the side. Because in those days, blind people wore a very special cloak for several reasons. First of all, it signified to the community that they were blind. It was, it was a part of their identity. But even more than that, it was their security because they were homeless. And so it was a very thick blanket that would keep them warm. And then during the daytime there in the desert, as the temperatures heated up, they would take off their Snuggie and they would lay it on the street. And then they would kneel next to it and it would let people know... I'm homeless, I'm blind, and in need. And people would respond to that blanket, that cloak on the ground, and they would give money to them on the blanket. So it was everything to him. It was his security. It was his identity. It was everything he had in life 
that when Jesus called, he threw to the side, not knowing if he's going to get his miracle or not, and probably not ever knowing if he's ever going to find that cloak again, because he's in a crowded city street where there are other beggars and other blind folks and other people who are hurting. They would have taken his cloak. They would have taken his money, his most valuable possession. And if Jesus doesn't heal him, he's blind. There's no way he's going to find his way back to this. So he's giving up everything that's defined his life and everything that's brought him safety and security and stepping out in pursuit of Jesus. So I ask you today, what is your Batman Snuggie? What is it that you're holding on to that creates your identity, your safety, your security? What's that foundation that you keep coming back to? Yeah, you want God to move and you'd like to see a miracle, but there are just some things you're holding on to that in case if he doesn't, you're going to be all right. You'll never seize the moment if you hang on to maybe it's an income or a relationship or an opportunity or a title or maybe even something painful from your past that's become a part of your identity that you say, I don't know how to function if I don't have that. It's a label that I carry that helps me identify with the world around me. It's a part of my story. It's who I am. And God says, I want you to take all of that off. If you're really going to come after me and see a miracle, you're going to have to throw it to the side. You can't be defined by that anymore. You can't rely on that anymore. It can't be your foundation anymore. You've got to take a step of faith. We all have a cloak that has to be thrown to the side in pursuit of Jesus. We have to step out in faith. And then I love this. As he gets to Jesus in verse 51, Jesus asks him this really odd question. What do you want me to do? Isn't it kind of funny that this blind guy who now has no money or cloak stumbles up to Jesus? Jesus never assumes because prayer is the discipline of asking and identifying our need for Jesus. The Bible says he knows what we need even before we ask. And then he makes us ask. So my question for you today is, are you asking? Are you assuming? You just assume that God knows exactly what you need. He does. He does know. Even better than us. But the Bible says he still makes us ask. So we should ask. He says, Jesus, I want to see. I want you to open my eyes. I love verse 52. Jesus says, go because your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight, but he followed Jesus along the road. Probably the best principle in this entire message is that if you really want your life to be transformed, number four, you're going to have to surrender to Jesus. Because here's the reality. When God touches your life, it's not the end of the road, it's the beginning. When that miracle comes to pass in your life, it's not the end of what you've been praying and believing for. It's the beginning of a brand new season. It's a new opportunity. It's a new open door. And listen to me. Bartimaeus had no options in life but to beg until God touched his life. 
And for the first time in his life, with God's anointing, with the power of the Holy Spirit touching him, with the healing that God had given him, now all of a sudden, the world of opportunity is open to him. He can go anywhere he wants to go. He can do anything he wants to do. And Jesus tells him, go because your faith has made you well. My question for you today is what will you do with the miracle? It reveals truly what's in your heart because there's a great song about it that my wife loves today. Do you want the healing or do you want the healer? I think too many times we use Jesus as a means to an end. I want this desired end in my life and I need to facilitate it by praying and believing that you'll do it for me. And what Bart proves to us is that he wasn't just in it for his sight. He wanted Jesus. He truly did believe that he was the Messiah, the Son of God, because he didn't go his own way. He went Jesus' way. He followed Jesus. For some of you, you're praying and believing that God would set you free from your past, that God would heal your physical body, that God would restore your marriage, God would touch your kids, God would open up your career. And guess what? I believe God's going to do it. But as you stand in faith and God does a miracle in your life, the greater question is, what are you going to do on the other side of it? Are you going to use the opportunity and the anointing to advance your own cause or His? Are you going to live your life based on the healing or the healer? Because God does have a great plan for your life. And it doesn't end with the miracle. It begins with the miracle. And heaven will tell the story of the ministry of blind Bartimaeus and all that he accomplished in following Jesus. So what's your story? I hope you know that there's no accidents in the spirit. Jesus passed through Jericho many times throughout his earthly ministry. And I don't think it was a coincidence that Jesus passed by blind Bartimaeus that day. I think Jesus intentionally took that route out of the city on his way to Jerusalem in hopes that Bartimaeus would seize the moment. I just want you to know there's no accidents in today's world as well. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And I believe Jesus orchestrated this moment so that you're in this service at this campus or this correctional facility or watching online in this moment because he wanted to give you the opportunity to cry out to him. You might be in pain, consumed by your past, blinded by something that you've walked through in life, but I wanna remind you that even when you can't see Jesus, he's never lost sight of you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to know that he would love for nothing more than to be close to you. He gave his life to rescue you. And I believe today is your moment. Maybe you've never known the Lord because you are marked by something in your past and you know now is the time for you to surrender to him, to see Jesus for who he really was, for who he is, for what he wants to do in your life. Or maybe you followed the Lord for a while and then you just drifted. You started 
being swayed by the opinions of people and now you wake up years later and realize you become obsessed about what people think about you and you've totally forgotten about what God thinks about you. And you realize it's time for you to come home. No matter where you are in your journey of faith, the most amazing thing is that God loves you and is for you. He sees you today. He cares about you. If that's you at all of our campuses, I'm not gonna make you stand or come to the front. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. If you were to say, Dave, that's me. In my heart, I'm far from Jesus. And I need to be close. I need a miracle today. Would you do me the favor? I wanna pray with you. Let me know that you wanna be counted in on this prayer just by slipping your hand up high for just a moment. Come on, at all of our campuses right now, just put your hand up high and say, count me in, that's me. I need Jesus today. Great job, great job. Yeah, good job. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, I'm so proud of you guys. All of our campuses, I'm so proud of you. Those watching online, all the correctional facilities, you can put your hands down. Here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus, forgive me today. For all my sin, I repent. I want to change directions. So I surrender to you. Thank you for dying on a cross in my place. I believe that you rose again. I place my faith in you. Rescue me, restore me, heal me, help me to live this life for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Now Father, I pray for every single person here. For those that find themselves in a position of desperation, in need of a miracle. We thank you that you're an ever-present help in times of trouble. That you've never left us and you've never forsaken us. We thank you that you orchestrate divine moments just like this. So that we can experience your power, your healing, your touch. Today I pray that you would awaken us spiritually, that we would see before we could see. That in the eyes of the Spirit, we'd be able to perceive what it is that you're doing and how you're moving and working. Build our faith, God. Lord, I pray that you would help us to silence the voices of the critics around us, the people that would say, that prayer is too big, your faith is too extreme. Father, I pray that you would help us to always be passionate for what you've called us to. God, I pray that you would help us in boldness to step out in faith for those that are wrestling with things that they're unable to give up we thank you by the power of the holy spirit that they will throw that cloak aside this week abandoning everything else to serve you wholeheartedly and god we thank you that that's what this is that we will follow you we want the healer not just the healing we thank you that the miracle isn't the end the miracle is the beginning as you touch our lives we thank you that we'll be able to leverage what you have done for us to make a difference in the lives of others. God, we thank you for the opportunity to pursue you with our whole lives. 
We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on in every campus. Let's put our hands together and celebrate those who prayed that prayer today. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, you can go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.